Sarah and I have been watching The Crown, which is a show on Netflix. So can I just sort of gauge the audience here? How many of you have seen The Crown? Okay, not too many actually. So basically, it's, um, it's a show about Queen Elizabeth, and it just covers like from when she becomes the queen, you know, right throughout her life. And it's actually like very good. And uh, so I'm learning all sorts of things about Queen Elizabeth and the royal family that I never knew before. And spoiler warning, okay, I'm gonna talk about one of the episodes that we watched last night, but it did come out in 2017, so you should have watched it by now. Um, so last night, it was the episode where uh, Queen Elizabeth's uncle, Edward VIII, um, it was found out that he had had contact with Hitler uh, during World War II, so it was like this big scandal. Um, so the, the, the way the story went, uh, King Edward VIII abdicated the throne because he wanted to marry uh, a woman from America. But then after he abdicated his throne, he went to Nazi Germany and spoke to Hitler and said to Hitler, if you conquer Britain, will you reinstate me as the king? And so he was a complete traitor to the, the United Kingdom. And I had never actually heard this story before. This isn't Hollywood writing. This is all based off true events. And so this example of Edward VIII is of a terrible king, a king who is willing to betray his own people. And if we look further back in history, there are many examples of bad kings and bad leadership. Today's Bible reading in Isaiah is about a king. And we're gonna learn two things from this passage. Who, uh, who the coming king is and what kind of kingdom he's going to bring. But first of all, let's learn a little bit about Isaiah and a little bit about the context of this passage. So the prophet Isaiah, his name means the Lord saves. And he was a prophet who lived roughly 800 years before Jesus was born. And he lived in an age where the kingdom of Israel had split into two. It was known as the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And so it was, there were two different kings for them. And both nations were under constant threat of invasion from its neighbors. And Isaiah was commissioned by God to warn the people that if they didn't turn from their sin, judgment was coming. Because at that time, people were worshiping false gods and officials and judges and even the priesthood were filled with corruption. And the kings that led the two nations were mixed. Sometimes there was a good king on the throne and sometimes there was a bad king on the throne. And the bad kings led the people into worshiping false gods. Yet the message that God has for his people doesn't finish with judgment. He also promises hope. We read, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. So this first verse is talking about lineage. So King David was the son of Jesse. And yet describing King David's lineage as Jesse's stump tells us that this great family of kings is going to be cut down to a stump. It's a prediction of doom. And ultimately, that is what happened to the line of King David. The last king was taken into exile in Babylon and was a king no more. And the dynasty of King David was cut down. And Babylon was the great empire that rose in the Middle East in what is now modern day Iraq. 
and they conquered the Israelite people and took them away into exile. But let's try and step back and look at this whole passage in a wider context. So this text that we're reading is poetry. And in fact, in the Bible, God frequently speaks to his people in poems and songs. Do you ever wonder why that is? God speaks to us through visual illustrations, like a sprout coming from a stump to help us understand profound truths. In Jesus's ministry, he didn't tell people statistics, facts, or a list of bullet points. He told people stories. And I think that the fact that so many books of the prophets are filled with poems teaches us about the character of God and the heart of man. The character of God is to be creative, to make comparisons, to use illustrations. And we humans, created in the image of God, love to use our imagination. We love to seek for the truths. We love to engage our brains to work out what is God saying to us without explicitly telling us, even through a simple image of a stump. In his commentary on Isaiah, Harry Boltima writes, we see a bare, withered tree stump robbed of its trunk and top, and it looks as though the stump will never bear any fruit anymore. But a small shoot sprouts from the root of this dry stump, which is the Davidic dynasty. Because of its unsightliness and misery, it is not named after David, but after his father. So this term Davidic dynasty is a fancy term for talking about David's family tree, his children, his grandchildren, um, and yet in particular, the line of kings, his son Solomon who became king, and then his son who became king after that, and so on. And so basically this whole family of kings was cut down. And calling it the stump of Jesse is actually showing us the humble nature of the Messiah, the coming king. Because Jesse was much less famous than his father, or sorry, he was the much less famous father of King David. And it is far humbler to say from Jesse than to say from King David. So right from the beginning, we see an impending disaster for the family of David and a hope that will spring from it. So who is this coming king, the shoot springing from a dead looking stump? It's Jesus. Jesus came from the line of King David. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in a stable, the humblest of beginnings. Jesus is this king that Isaiah prophesied about. So let's keep reading and see what Isaiah wrote about Jesus 800 years before he was born. So in the next verses, uh, verses 2 and 3, it talks about the spirit of the Lord. And you can make a contrast between this statement and the previous one. So the previous uh, verse talks about how humble uh, the shoot is. And then we read about how it is filled with the spirit of the Lord, full of life. And the number of spirits listed here is significant because in the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion because God created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh. And there are seven spirits listed here. The spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of the knowledge of the Lord, and the spirit of fear of the Lord. And so even though they're listed as seven spirits, they're not seven separate spirits. 
It's more like the seven characteristics of the one Holy Spirit. And this is quite common in the Bible when uh, people are writing about God and writing about the Holy Spirit that they call him the characteristic. You know the verse 1 John 4, 8, where it says that God is love. Um, he's not saying that God is an abstract concept or idea or even a feeling. It's just that God's character is so full of love and so loving that we can say he is love. And so in the same way, these seven characteristics are not separate spirits, but all descriptions of the one Holy Spirit. So what does the spirit of wisdom and understanding look like in a practical way? I'm reminded of a saying, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Wisdom is being sensible and having good judgment. We need leaders with wisdom. And we can see in the gospel that Jesus' wisdom often amazed the people that he was speaking to, especially when the religious leaders tried to trap him with trick questions. Jesus' answers amazed them. And as for understanding, I would say that Jesus can understand us better than anyone. He understands our struggles and our sorrows. He understands who we are in a way better than we do ourselves. And so the next two listed here, the spirit of counsel and power. Counsel is being able to give good advice and power is having strength. Jesus is able to advise and instruct us if we are willing to listen and obey. Jesus is a king that doesn't just rule, he also teaches. Through the example of his own life, Jesus shows us how we should live. And as for power, Jesus is able to command demons and command nature. He has power over both the spiritual realm and the physical realm. You know, we don't, maybe don't often think about the power that Jesus possesses because he never abused it. But we see in some of the stories such as how he silenced the wind and the waves by commanding it to be still. And then we move on, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. You know, in some ways, God is a great mystery. We cannot see him with our eyes, nor measure him with our scientific methods. So many people, myself included, strive to learn and know about God, who he is and what he's like. And Jesus knows God better than anyone else because Jesus is the son of God and is filled with the spirit of knowledge of the Lord. And we continue uh, in verse three, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now this phrase, fear of the Lord, doesn't mean to be fearful or afraid or scared. It doesn't mean that Jesus delights in being scared. Rather, in the Bible, this phrase means to have respect, awe, reverence, and even submission. So you could say, you know, Jesus delights in respecting, awing, and obeying God. And that's what it means when it says he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And these verses, again, written 800 years before Jesus was born, prophecy how the shoot from the stump of Jesse will be filled with God's spirit and be like God. And Jesus, being the son of God, fulfilled these perfectly. So the previous verses looked at how Jesus was filled with the spirit of the Lord, and the next verses describe his characteristics uh, of a human king. 
So yes, unfortunately, the Israelites had many bad kings, kings who were ungodly, unjust, and made the people suffer. But these words in verses three to five paint a picture of the king we all need, a king of righteousness, bringing justice to the poor and oppressed, and bringing the world to account. We read, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, nor decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. The judgment that Jesus gives will not be like human judgment, which is limited, but rather he has supernatural understanding to see even people's hearts and motivations, and with righteousness he will judge. The Israelites longed for justice. In Jesus, we will see justice brought to the whole earth. And we move on in verse 4. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with his breath he will slay the wicked. This relates to how powerful the words of Jesus are. Jesus need only speak and things happened. He healed people by speaking. He stilled the winds and waves by speaking. And this segment finishes in verse 5 with... Uh, oh, sorry, I've lost my place here. This segment finishes in verse 5 by stating that he is clothed with righteousness and faithfulness. What a description of the perfect leader. It is such a contrast to what we see sometimes in human leaders, again, like uh, King Edward VIII, who are all flawed. This prophecy by Isaiah predicted the coming of a king, the likes of which the world had never seen before. So now that we've looked at who the coming king is and what he will be like, what his character is like, what will his kingdom look like? Verses six to nine paint for us a picture of the world he would bring, paradise, a world without conflict. What better way to illustrate this than with animals? Animals are not under the control of our laws, our religion, or our culture. Animals don't care what news stories the BBC runs. Animals don't care what laws are passed or changed. Animals have their very own nature. In fact, we have phrases like the animal kingdom, which implies that animals belong to something else other than our human kingdoms. And the natural world is a cruel and brutal one. It's survival of the fittest, the weak and sick perish. And animals kill each other for survival. It's in their very nature. So can you imagine a world, as is written here in Isaiah chapter 11, where the wolf lives with the lamb? where leopards, goats, calves, and lions all dwell in harmony, where these animals pose no threat to human children. It's completely topsy-turvy. Imagine inviting the mums and dads to a tots and vipers club, where the little kids can play with in snake pits, because that, that's what's described here. Even, the, even um, in verse, verse 6, where it says, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. This word yearling, so it describes a calf that is fatted and ready to eat. Because what would happen in, in the Israeli culture was you would pick one of your calves and you would separate it from the herd and put it in the pen and feed it for a year until it was nice and ready and then you would have a feast. So this yearling 
This is like a fat, juicy calf, and the lion is not eating it. There will be peace and harmony in a world currently filled with violence and chaos. And these words here is an illustration of the new earth. The new earth who will be ruled by the perfect king. And let me remind you that one day God is going to make the earth anew. When we die, we go to heaven, but I believe that heaven is like a waiting room because it says in Revelation 21 that God will make a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. And we continue in verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. It's truly amazing the unity that we find in Jesus. People of all nationalities and cultures are united as one when we become Christians. When I was in Rotterdam in June, I had the privilege of praying with people from 70 different countries all around the world. And even though we prayed in different languages, and even though we sang worship songs in different languages, we were all praying in the same spirit. And we were all united under the banner of Jesus, the humble root of Jesse. Jesus is so much. He is close to us. He is our best friend. He calls us brothers and sisters. And he is someone we can talk to and relate to. He is someone we can laugh with and cry with. But he is also a king. He is majestic, wise, powerful, and he has command over spiritual and natural. He has the power to bring this world into order, and he is the only one qualified to be our king. And Jesus also has the authority to judge us, and we must never forget that he is coming back someday. And what a beautiful world he'll be bringing with him when he does. So let's finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending us your son, Jesus. And thank you that we have the Bible, which is filled with prophecies like uh, in Isaiah, just to point us towards Jesus and affirm who Jesus is, Lord. And God, we do pray for justice, justice for the poor and the oppressed, Lord God. And we pray for peace and we pray for unity, Lord God. And we just pray that you'll help us to share Jesus with our loved ones just so that we can all enjoy the, the unity of the Christian family together, Lord God. And so yet just in Jesus' mighty name, we pray, amen.